oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, for weeks now, including as recently as Monday, uh, we've raised the serious concerns that we have about the NDP government's contribution of $1.2 million in public funds to the Drug User Liberation Front and the Vancouver Area Network of Drug <coughs> Users, VANDU, as part of the NDP's taxpayer-funded drug trafficking. Now, tax dollars given to them by the NDP enabled the Drug User Liberation Front to buy heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine from organized crime on the dark web. Today, we now learn that the Vancouver Police have raided the NDP's taxpayer-funded Liberation Front and made arrests. So my question to the Premier is this. Will the Premier take full responsibility and accountability for the NDP's taxpayer-funded drug trafficking and ensure his government's absolute cooperation with the ongoing police investigation? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. I appreciate the question uh, from the member. As the member knows full well, the contract that the group that he is talking about was awarded by Vancouver Coastal Health for the testing of drugs for overdose prevention uh, and, and assisting people and helping people in preventing them from dying. In no way, shape or form were any of those funds intended for the purchase of illegal drugs and the member knows that. As well, police are conducting and have conducted an investigation which has led to the arrest uh, and warrants uh, for individuals. Uh, those who break the law are held accountable, and that's exactly what is happening. Leader of the Official Opposition Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, Mr. Speaker, to the Solicitor General, Vancouver Coastal Health is an arm of the provincial government, and it is this provincial government through their reckless, irresponsible decriminalization effort, have resulted in these kind of events taking place. Now, when confronted about the issue this week, the Premier unbelievably said, and I quote, it's unfortunate because they were providing essential life-saving work, end of quote. This is incredibly dismissive of taxpayer-funded drug trafficking and the harms that are caused by buying illegal drugs from the dark web, a haven for organized crime, gangs and drug cartels. Does the Premier and this government stand by his earlier comments as an adequate justification for the NDP's involvement in such illicit activities? Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, and I'll repeat again for the member. And what the, uh, the Premier was talking about and uh, what the Health Authority was, was doing with the contract was to save lives. Supposedly, that that's something that the opposition wants to see happen, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, a contract was given to the organization the member is talking about to save lives, to test drugs, to prevent overdose deaths. It was not in any way, shape or form for taxpayer money of any kind to purchase illicit drugs. And the member knows that. No, the member knows that. Knows that. Members. The, uh, Mem members, please. The Vancouver Police Department uh, has been investigating, and, Honourable Speaker, uh, they have made arrests and issued warrants, um, and that's what happens when you break the law. This government fully expects that when a contract is awarded, 
uh, for a specific purpose, in this case, to save lives, to prevent overdoses, but the terms and conditions of that contract are followed. And when there's not, and when they weren't, the contract and the government found out the contract was immediately cancelled. Anyway, and uh, and police have been investigating. Police have been investigating, and they have uh, uh, enforced the law of the province of British Columbia. Official opposition leader, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This is incredible. Uh, we have a situation where they refuse to acknowledge the problem. They take the word of the people that are involved in the drug trafficking over the opposition who raised this issue weeks ago, raised this issue weeks Members. ago, Members, and tried to the diminish question. the fact that there are dangerous, that this is dangerous, illegal, and harmful activity because they apparently think the people involved are good people. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Speaker, but buying drugs from the dark web, supporting organized crime is not life-saving work. It actually puts police and the public at risk. Does the, does the Solicitor General really believe that British Columbians are blind to the reality of what you are doing and who you are supporting through and the, the fact that we have to have the police raid and arrest people before you finally realize it's the wrong thing to do as part of this reckless decriminalization program of your government. Through the chair, member, through the chair. Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. What I'll say to the Leader of the Opposition is this. British Columbians are not blind the almost 14,000 people who died because of the toxic drug crisis in this province. The public of British Columbia wants government to do everything that it can to work to save lives, and that's exactly what's been happening. And, Honourable Speaker, as the member knows, the contract was for drug testing, and to somehow suggest that government authorized or wanted funds to go to buy illegal drugs is just straight nonsense, and they know it, Honourable Speaker. And I'd like to finish by just uh, with a quote, with a quote from the Vancouver Police Department, who's doing, who made the uh, the arrests and issued the warrants. While we support progressive drug, pro uh, drug policy and believe harm reduction strategies reduce the number of lives lost due to drug toxicity, we are steadfast in our insistence that all strategies be fully compliant with the law. Anyone who ignores the law or fails to obtain proper legal exemptions should expect to be the subject of enforcement action. That's exactly what should happen, and that's exactly what this government supports, Honourable Speaker. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I feel absolutely outraged, and I'll tell you why. Is to hear that this government is saying we have to do everything that we can because they're trying to save lives, and that would somehow justify supporting organizations that are putting money and guns into the hands of people that kill British Columbians through gang activity. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether the government money was used to purchase those drugs or whether it supported a building or their staff or anything else. Surely, in the province of British Columbia, there are other organizations who are not buying drugs on the dark web that you could have funded. In my community of Surrey, people are murdered 
as a result of drug trafficking. Paul Bennett, a nurse, murdered in his driveway an innocent bystander because of organized criminals. And this government supported Dolph to the tune of $200,000, putting that money potentially into the hands of murderers. You should be ashamed. So let's make one thing clear, that the Premier subsidized an organization that not only used cryptocurrency to buy illegal drugs off the dark web, they funded an organization that was openly bragging about it. Think about that. There is no way that this should come as a surprise to the Premier. The Premier has ignored, dismissed, and hand-waved this issue, and now there's a criminal investigation. Will the Premier order a forensic audit of the government's funding to Van Du, to Dolph, and other organizations that are involved in criminal activity and funded by the government? Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Well, I can tell the Honourable Leader of the Opposition that when they sat on this side of the House, they funded Van Du, Honourable Speaker. Yeah. Let's be clear. Let's be, let's be clear, Honourable Speaker. What occurred was unacceptable and illegal. And when this government found out, the contract was cancelled. The, the police Member. were did their investigation, as they should be, and have made arrests according to the law. That's what we expect to have happen, Honourable Speaker. But let's also be clear that we have worked with health authorities, been working with public health officials, in working to do everything we can to prevent toxic overdose deaths in this province. Some 14,000 people have died in the toxic drug crisis in this province. The funding through, through Coastal Health to this organization was for the testing and the prevention of overdose deaths, Honourable Speaker. That's what it was for and nothing else. And so, Honourable Speaker, that's what happened. We need to continue our work to ensure that we're doing everything we can to prevent overdose deaths, but we will continue to make sure that it is done legally. Member for Surrey South Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And you know, I want to apologize. I think that you might have heard me using some unparliamentary language, but <laughs> this is extremely upsetting. Uh, knowing the impact of drug trafficking on communities across British Columbia, uh, it's also extremely hard to believe that this government would not have known that this was taking place, considering that the BCCSU and UVic were actually assisting in this project at Dolph. These are organizations working quick, uh, very closely with the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. So this should not be a surprise, and they were bragging about it for almost two years in the media. So it's either willful blindness or it's ignorance. So will the Premier commit today to an audit, yes or no? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I take issue with the, uh, the member's statements that this government uh, is not concerned about organized crime and drug trafficking, Honourable Speaker. This government has done more investment in fighting organized crime and drug trafficking than that side of the House ever did. <laughs> Where 
whether it's working with the federal government to get, to, to get additional funding to fight organized crime, whether it's putting in place a forensic lab to identify firearms and crack down on illegal firearms coming into this province and this country, this government continues to work with police agencies, government agencies at the federal level, border services to uh, to do everything we can to deal with uh, organized crime. That's one of the reasons not only do we use civil forfeiture, Honourable Speaker, but unexplained wealth orders, Honourable Speaker, to strengthen the tools that police have to be able to crack down on drug, drug traffickers and organized crime, and we will continue to do that. Leader of the Third Party. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. On Tuesday, we asked the Minister of Health what he's doing to not only recruit but retain nurses. And although this healthcare system is failing to create the conditions needed to retain nurses, it has been great at hiring and retaining corporate and executive staff. We are encouraged by the bilateral agreement between BC and the federal government to support healthcare in our province, but there are concerns that these funds will be spent on administration rather than the systems and people in need through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Health, can you assure the people of BC that all of the money transferred will go to improve frontline health care delivery rather than administration and that there will be complete transparency on how that money is spent? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Indeed, we have um, a bilateral agreement with the federal government uh, for uh, the next three years uh, of that money, um, $200 million this year, $250 next year, $300 the following year. We'll go to support our uh, nurse ratio proposal, which we worked on together with nurses across British Columbia. Another 246 million of that, that money will go to support uh, the continuing support for mental health and addiction programs that are so important in this time when so many people are at risk in this province, both uh, from mental health and addiction issues. The, uh, the, the amounts of money we're going to are detailed, detailed in the agreement, and they support the government's initiative to hire frontline healthcare workers, of which we set records this year and will continue to set records, I believe, in hiring new people, and that includes doctors and nurses and health science professionals and healthcare workers. Leader of Third Party Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and, and there has indeed been record-setting spending. Uh, 2016 to 2017, the Ministry of Health spent $1.42 billion on administrative costs, uh, $288 per person in BC. In 2022-23, that spending skyrocketed to $3.26 billion, $603 for every person in BC. And yet the population of BC only increased 10% during this time. Health administrative costs have more than doubled, with executives at the top being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, while nurses in Prince Rupert are having to use the food bank because they can't make ends meet. One in five British Columbians do not have primary care. We have a shortage of over 5,000 nurses in the public system. ERs are closed more and more regularly. We are sending cancer patients to the US, and yet administrative spending in this province has ballooned. Through you, Honorable Speaker, to the Minister of Health, how can the minister justify the massive expansion in ministerial and administrative spending in health care while British Columbians are languishing? Minister Felt. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And these things are actually measured by the Canadian Institute for Health Information. BC has some of the lowest administrative costs in the country for health care. 
and that share of administrative costs, which are measured every single year, the share of health care expenditures have gone down since I've been Minister of Health. We have been investing record amounts in frontline health care workers. So we have 5,221 net new nurses this year, Honourable Speaker. We've set records for surgeries, for diagnostic testing, and we, we've, uh, I think the health care system has led us through very challenging circumstances and two public health emergencies. I would note, for example, amongst those administrative costs are the, are the amounts spent on PPE in our health care system, which is vitally important and, as everyone knows, increased dramatically during the pandemic because of international conditions. But I don't apologize for spending money on PPE to keep health care workers safe. Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, over the last number of weeks, clearly this NDP Premier doesn't want to talk about the NDP's assault on the rights of parents and the innocence of our children. He doesn't want to talk about the assault on private property rights and hard-working British Columbians. And yesterday he refused to talk about struggling farmers going broke because of this government's policies. So, Mr. Speaker, perhaps this NDP Premier will talk about his government's punishing carbon tax. Will the Premier admit that this, carbon, this NDP carbon tax is taking more than $3 billion from British Columbia families, getting them less at the pumps, driving up inflation at the grocery store, and adding to the cost of every new home built in this province? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. What the member fails to note is that British Columbia's economy has been transforming significantly as a result of a climate change, a carbon tax brought in by the party that he was once part of when it sat on this side of the House. And it has put British Columbia in a good position to fight climate change, which over 70% of British Columbians believe is a pressing crisis. I know the member fails to recognize that climate change is human-caused. I know the House Leader of the Fourth Party says he needs more information about climate change. But the carbon tax has made a significant difference in British Columbia emissions. Other jurisdictions are struggling to keep up with us. With our government, the principles of the carbon tax are that we give back to low- and middle-income British Columbians. By 2030, 80% of British Columbians will get the Climate Action Tax Credit, and a significant majority of them will get more back in the tax credit than they pay in carbon tax. I think that's the right path. Leader of the Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, half the people in this province are struggling to put food on the table. And the consumption of, of, uh, of fossil fuels per capita has gone up at the same rate as the rest of the country. So I quite, don't quite understand what this minister doesn't get about the failed carbon tax. But quite frankly, Mr. Speaker, enough of the deflection from this NDP. For every voter that our party is taking from British Columbia, from the, <clears throat> from the defunct BC United Party, we are also taking one from the NDP party. British Columbians want change. They're done with politics as usual. And they're done with being taken advantage of by government that asks for more and more and delivers less and less to everyday hard-working people. To the Premier, why has this NDP government abandoned hard-working, hard blue-collar voters 
And when will they slash this punishing carbon tax so that everyday workers can afford to live? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And um, again, um, we've canvassed this issue many times in this House. Uh, I get it. The, the member, the leader of the Conservative Party doesn't believe climate change is real. He says he's going to scrap the carbon tax. Uh, he says he's going to scrap the carbon tax. Says that um, that climate change is maybe real, maybe not. I'm not sure. When when the while he was sitting on the other side with the BC United, formerly the BC Liberals, he supported all those measures, clapped and spoke at uh, any opportunity he had about how great they were, honourable speaker. So as much as we don't know where the BC United stand on issues, I really don't know where the leader of the fourth party stands on issues either. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Residents of Lytton are already devastated and without homes for 848 days. They now face astronomical fees related to archaeological work. They are saddled with mandatory archaeology costs of up to $22,000 plus, daily monitoring fees of $6,000 per property per day. These are costs that insurance doesn't cover and that the government has frankly failed to fund. To the Premier, why hasn't the government provided provincial support for these significant expenses? Minister of Forests. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. Uh, in fact, the government uh, has provided to the village of Lytton $57 million to assist in the recovery of that uh, $23 million is uh, been targeted to archaeological uh, debris removal and other uh, parts of the recovery that's required. I spoke, as I said, two days ago, or as I said yesterday, but uh, the day before, I spoke with the mayor of Lytton. Uh, she made some suggestions about how we might move forward more effectively. Uh, we're considering those, and uh, we expect uh, to move forward. Member Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. It has been, of course, 848 days, and many of these residents have not been funded in any way. Lytton residents are getting a tab for $22,000 monitoring a ditching trench. Another resident got a quote for $6,000 per day. These are astronomical fees, especially when the government hasn't made it so, made it clear whether or not people will actually be able, per permitted, to rebuild on these sites. Why on earth should residents in Lytton pay daily fees of $6,000 for archaeological monitoring, especially when the government has failed to offer clear timelines and there's no guarantee they can even build on their own property? Minister of Forests. Thank you very much. Again, in the conversation with the Mayor of Lytton, what she did tell me is that the uh, first building permit for a new house was issued uh, just very recently. Uh, there are an, uh, approximately 20 uh, homeowners who plan to build, and uh, progress is, is being made. There's a temporary police station there, and the rebuilding effort uh, is continuing, and I'm optimistic. Uh, I share with the Mayor uh, her optimism about the recovery process in Lytton. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Let's be clear, Mr. Speaker. It's been 848 days, and not a single home has been rebuilt in Lytton. Some residents have actually died, waiting to get back and rebuild their homes. 
The lack of timelines and certainty from the government at this stage can only be described as de facto expropriation. To the Premier, is there a plan for compensation? Minister of Forests. Thank you. I, I would think the uh, opposition critic for Indigenous matters would have some sensitivity when understanding the uh, important archaeological work that is taking place at the site. This is a site that has been inhabited by Indigenous people uh, for approximately 7,000 years. Uh, uh, the, the old village was built upon that very site. So when it came to uh, recovery, uh, the archaeological work that, uh, that became apparent was much more than people anticipated. That took time, and that is acknowledged. It is very frustrating for the residents, uh, but nonetheless, the process is moving forward. Uh, a, a building permit was issued for the first house, uh, and there are more uh, that are coming forward very shortly. Vancouver Langara Supplemental. Mr. Speaker, this is the sort of dismissive attitude that we hear from this government. They're out of touch. These issues aren't just about Lytton. They matter all over the province. Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities are being kept in the dark when they deserve clarity from this government. Greater Victoria has thousands of Lekwungen sites. Imagine a home in Central Saanich or Oak Bay burns down and needs to be rebuilt. Can the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation tell us if residents of Oak Bay would face the same uncertainty, red tape, huge costs, and endless delays. Minister of Forests. Uh, thank you very much uh, for the question. Um, the, the steps under the Heritage Conservation Act are clear, uh, and that's uh, an obligation, a legal obligation, that a property owner is obliged to uh, take measure of. Uh, that, uh, and uh, again, I would think that the, the member would support those measures in the Heritage Conservation Act, given uh, that there are, uh, on occasion, even in uh, uh, habited areas uh, where building took place long ago, there are undiscovered archaeological remains which appear during a rebuilding process. That is, that is the law, and uh, uh, those steps are taken. Uh, permits are issued, and uh, ultimately a building permit is issued. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you. Well, Mr. Speaker, it's no wonder there's such delays in the Heritage Branch processing archaeological permits because the minister in charge two years ago in his mandate letter was instructed by the Premier with the Heritage Conservation Act to do a transformation project. And it was very clear. The timeline was that was supposed to be done by the fall of 2023. It is the fall of 2023, two days now. We haven't had one hint of that coming forward by the minister's answers. When can the minister deliver the update on the historical uh, transformation mandate project that he was in his mandate letter? Minister of Forests. The, uh, the Heritage Conservation Act and potential revisions to it are the subject of intense and, and uh, detailed uh, discussion between ourselves and rights and title holders, uh, the First Nations Leadership Council, uh, and that process is ongoing. I'm optimistic that uh, the result will be the legislative change that uh, I was directed to lead and uh, expect to lead very shortly. Opposition House Leader. 
Mr. Speaker, uh, there is currently a backlog of 11,000 permits and a 255-day average wait time for archaeological permit processing through the ARC branch. And frankly, this is unbelievable considering this government has grown the size of government by 137,000 positions in six years. Uh, but the government also demands that individuals navigate a bewildering 42 steps from permits and forms to committees just to find out if they're even going to have the possibility of rebuilding on their land. The experience in Lytton has been massive costs, delays, and uncertainty. Does the Premier recognize the implications for people who want to build homes all over the province, considering the significant fees and massive delays related to archaeological work on their properties? Minister of Forests. Thank you very much. To uh, return to Lytton and the challenges there, because I think it's, uh, it's an example of the challenges faced by the Heritage Conservation Act, uh, indeed, we do understand uh, the uh, pressures that have been faced by uh, citizens seeking to rebuild their homes in Lytton. Um, we have provided, and I, I gave a, a number of $23 million, it's to the village who have selected an archaeological contractor, and they are administering uh, those funds uh, uh, in the archaeological work that goes forward. Um, we are in discussions with the village of Lytton about how, that, and not all of that money has been expended, about how we might uh, use that money to further assist uh, residents of Lytton uh, in, in the recovery process. Member Supplemental. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, only the NDP would say uh, that they're making progress uh, against the backdrop of, of residents uh, at, at 848 days since their village burned down and, and nobody's been able to move back and, re and begin the rebuild process. The fact of the matter is there's been a complete lack of transparency from this NDP government. We know also that behind closed doors the government continues to make plans that will inevitably affect every homeowner in this province. And here's the bottom line. People want to know that their rights matter, they want to know that their properties matter, and they want to know that their homes matter. When will the Premier pull back the curtain and be transparent about the process and timelines to be informed about artifacts discovered on their properties? And will the NDP government fully compensate those impacted by outrageous fees related to the discovery of artifacts on their properties? Minister of Forests. Thank you. The government is leading a transformational process of the Heritage Conservation Act. There is intense interest among uh, Indigenous people and their organizations and their representatives in this process. That process is uh, continuing. I expect to uh, bring that uh, uh, forward uh, shortly uh, and, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm sure that the opposition uh, will be very pleased by the results of that process. The bell ends the question period.